I believe I want to talk to this time about the book of Ruth. Just draw some stuff from the book of Ruth that would help us maybe in our daily walk. I would call it Ruth in the plan of God. In other words, God had a plan and how Ruth fit into that is a, a kind of interesting. So um, just quickly the story. Naomi and her husband had gone down to Moab because of a famine in Israel. But after a few years, her husband, Himlek, died, and then um, she had two sons, and they were married. And those two boys, after a few years, they died. It looked like about 10, 12 years, perhaps. And so now she hears that the famine in Israel is over and there's plenty, and so she decides to go home. Ruth is one of the daughters-in-law, Oprah is the other one, and they decide first of all to go back, but then she starts to encourage them, you should be staying here. I don't have husbands for you to marry. I don't have anything to give you. So why don't you just stay here? So Oprah decided to stay, but Ruth decided she was not going to stay. She was going to go with her. And um, in that first chapter of Ruth, Naomi blames God for her bitter life. And she did not realize, of course, that God had a plan, that God was setting up something to show his divine character, his gracious divine character. And so we get out of what is going to happen here a picture of the Messiah that was to come. So let's work at it and see what we can draw from it that would help us. So Ruth, of all, first of all, I want to just talk a bit about her character. She was obviously a powerful woman as far as obedience, respect for her elders, respect for her mother-in-law. She was a powerful woman in that way. I'm not talking about powerful in the way of getting her own way. I'm talking about powerful in behaving herself and knowing what she was called to that would bring her into a place of fellowship in a brand new land. And so her, it was like a godly character that she developed, probably from being close to her mother-in-law and, and the rest of the family for a time. Because in this transition of leaving her country and going with Naomi, she, she was focusing on basically one thing, Naomi's need for her. So she had a loving and a caring attitude towards her mother-in-law. Let's look at verse 16 of the first chapter. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord, deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you from me. So there's a, a, a beautiful love relationship between a mother and a, and a daughter-in-law. And in that relationship, the character of, of Ruth was coming out. 
and you could see it in just her attitude. Now, it's interesting because in chapter 2, Boaz, who I'll talk to you about a little bit later to introduce him, but he was talking about her, and this is what he says. I, in, in verse 11 of chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. So first of all, we have a cost here. To be able to minister to, support her mother-in-law, she was willing to give up her father and her mother, her relatives, the familiarity with her culture, the language that she knew in Moab. She was giving all that up because of her love for this mother-in-law of hers. And she's, Boaz goes on in verse 12, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And his prayer was answered, by the way. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. That prayer was answered, by the way. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take Israel, to take refuge. And so here's Ruth giving herself totally to somebody from a different country because of love. An ability to forget about herself, deny herself, so that she could indeed be a servant and a support to her mother-in-law. Because Naomi was, was bitter. It was almost a, a depression that had come on her. She, she, when she got back into Israel, she said, Don't call me Naomi, call me Mar, which means for bitterness. The Lord has given me a bitter life. And so it's interesting that Ruth could see that, and she was known as a lady who said, I'm going to support her in her need. Today we might have dumped Naomi into a psych ward or said, go live by yourself, but Ruth was something different. Then we want to look at the man Boaz. Now we're going to introduce him more in a few minutes, who he was, but he says he was a man of standing, and that means he was right before God, and people respected him because he was honest. His integrity was known throughout the community. So Naomi could say he's a man of standing. You'll see that in chapter 2, verse 1. And Naomi, um, Naomi had sent Ruth out to, to gather grain off the ground that the harvesters were dropping. And that was a, a basic law in Israel, that people that were would be called um, welfare people, I guess, people that needed food, they could go and follow the harvesters. And the harvesters, by law, were supposed to pull a little bit of grain out once in a while and drop it. They weren't to harvest the corners of the field, leave grain standing there. And these people who were in need could go and they could pick up their stuff and um, take it home and it would be some food for them. And so that was interesting. And this is what Boaz did in order to protect Ruth. In chapter 2, verse 9, 
he said to her, I have told the man not to touch you, and and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the man have filled. Now this is interesting because normally somebody that was gleaning, working behind the harvesters, the, the welfare type people were not allowed to go get a drink. They were not allowed to sit in the shelters out of the, out of the sunshine and stuff as Ruth was allowed to. But he, this man of character, man of standing, Boaz, invited her to come and just do that. So we see his character being portrayed here. And so he also says, I told the man not to abuse you, not to hurt you. And that meant... There may have been a law that allowed people to glean, and there's a law that told the harvesters to drop some, but there was no law that protected the people that were gleaning from being abused by them. They might have, they might have kicked them around a bit to feel better. We don't know. But when she was finished that first day, she had half a portion, half a bushel. That would be between 30 and 50 pounds of grain because the men were pulling out more than they usually would, because Boaz had told them to. And so, getting back to the plan of God, here we have God doing things to start to bless Ruth for her unselfish attitude way back in the country of Moab. And now she's gleaning something from that, probably not connecting God had a plan, and I'm, the, I'm starting to be blessed in that plan. And then she finds out from her mother-in-law that Boaz is what they called uh, kinsman redeemer. We would know it better as family redeemer. And you see, because Naomi's husband was dead, the two sons were dead, there was no one to have a child that would carry on the family name. And so there needed to be someone that the widow could go to and say, we need you to give a child to us to carry on my husband's name. And so um, Ruth's husband would have carried on that name, but he died. And so now it's up to her to find someone else to produce a child to carry on the family name. And so he was called a kinsman redeemer. Now there was one other person that was closer to being redeemer than him, but it didn't work out that that guy could do it. So Boaz made a decision. He was going to be that kinsman redeemer. He worked at it. And so in this whole plan of God's where he wants to do something special, and bringing people through a time of hardship as they were in, in first of all, Israel, then going to Moab, and the hardships there of leaving, especially with Ruth leaving, all those hardships, God had a purpose in mind. And you know, each of us, we need to keep in mind that when God is bringing us through a desert type, a hard time, a hard place, we need to stop and focus, not on the circumstances, but to at least look up and say, if God has a plan, I want to behave myself in this time of trial, in this time of hurt or whatever it might be, 
I want to make sure I'm a forgiver. I bless those that persecute me. I'll pray for those that, that are my enemies. I'll do everything the Lord has said, because if he has a plan beyond this hardship, I don't want to mess it. I don't want to mess it up. Some people have in the past. Moses almost did, you know, at the year 390 when they're in the wilderness in the Egypt. He thought, I'll deliver these people from Egypt. And he killed the Egyptian and then found out he had to run for his life. That was year 90 because it was supposed to be 400 years there in Egypt. But it turned out to be 430 And Moses was in the wilderness hiding for 40 years. So we know he delayed the coming out of Egypt for those slaves that were being so mistreated. He brought them uh, finally out, but it was 30 years after what God intended. You can read that in both Old Testament and New Testament. It was 430 years But God had promised Abraham way back in Genesis it would be 400 years. And so we must be careful not to abort what God is setting up, what he's doing. I don't like trials. I don't like hardships. I'm sure you don't either. These things that, that um, um, sometimes cost us time, cost us money, cost us friends, might cost us some health. It might, all these hard times that we go through. You see, somewhere I need to look beyond. As, as it says in the, in the New Testament, Jesus looked beyond the cross to the joy that lay beyond him. And so I need to look ahead of where I am in this trial, in this tribulation. Say, Lord, if you have a plan, I don't want to miss it. Keep my heart, my attitude right. I like to say there's so many people in the Bible that knew how to behave themselves. Joseph was one of them. We've already talked about him at one of my other sessions. But here's a man that behaved himself all the way through. You don't get to be a leader in Potiphar's house if you got bitterness and resentment and hatred. You don't get to have a jailer that puts you in charge of everything because you find favor in his eyes. If you're bitter and resentful and envious and complaining all the time, he knew Joseph. Joseph knew how to behave himself. And see, Ruth knew how to behave herself. Naomi didn't do quite so well, but Ruth knew how to behave herself. Now let's take a look at God's character. It's interesting. God doesn't hide sin. All the way back from Adam, all the way up to the end of the New Testament, God is exposing sins of his people in Revelation. He's exposing the sins of the church. Those seven churches, five of them had sin exposed. But all the way through, even David, a man after God's own heart, God exposed his sin wide open, had it written down, and a thousand, two, three thousand years later, we're still reading about David's sin. Moses' sin when he killed the Egyptian. And the patriarch fathers, all the way up through, he's exposing, he's not ashamed of it. 
He's not like the modern day church or the modern day business or the modern day family that sweeps their sin under a carpet and hope nobody will see it. Because God can still see it, especially in the church and especially in our own spiritual lives. God can see what's under the carpet. Now I want to start to just open up the plan that God had here. And you're going to find it back in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And you see that chapter, we generally look at that chapter and say, well, if we're reading the, the first chapter of Matthew, we might say, well, I think I'll, I'll just skip that because of all those hard names of the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, it, it goes right from Adam, I'm sorry, Abraham, and follows through every father all the way up to when Jesus was born and his father, who was supposedly Joseph. But Mary is in the lineage, so we know it was still in David's lineage. And so, But I noticed something about Ruth, that the author of Ruth continually reminds us that she was a Moabite woman. Now, the Moabite people weren't very... They were, really weren't heroes of the Jewish people. The Moabite people had been, um, even held them, um, the Moabite people had uh, a father who was one of Lot's uh, children. And that child was born of Lot's daughter. And after Lot had to flee, um, After he had to flee the, um, oh, help me with the name, somebody, Sodom, and his wife was um, smitten with, come a block of salt because she longed to go back to her old lifestyle. And then Lot's daughters got him drunk one night because they said, there's no one to keep our family name. And so they both two nights in a row slept with them. Both of them got pregnant. And the two sons they gave birth to later on, one of them became the father of the Moabites. So right there, Jewish people would look on the Moabites as a people of an ancestral relationship and frown on that whole nation. But also, near the end of the book of Judges, which is before we had kings and stuff, the Moabites actually ruled over Israel for about 19 years as oppressors. So the Jewish people did not like Moabites. So now we've got a Moabite coming into this relationship with Boaz, and Boaz agreed to marry her, and they had a son. And I'm going to show you in the first chapter of Matthew some interesting things, because in the second half of verse 5, it says there... Um, Boaz, the fathers of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse. We know Jesse became the father of King David, and so on. And so in this um, acknowledgement in Matthew, it seems though they wanted to say to the children of Israel, look, at, there was a Moabite woman in the lineage of Jesus. She's not Jewish. She was Moabite. 
But that's not all, because if you go back up to chapter 3, verse 3, pardon me, of chapter 1, Matthew, it says, Judah, the father of Perez, but his mother was Tamar. Now, who was Tamar? Tamar was a daughter-in-law of, of Judah, and you see, her husband was evil. Judah's son was evil, so God put him to death. And so Judah said to Tamar, I'll give you the next son as soon as you get a little older. But when the son got a little older, he didn't give him to her, so she got upset. Posed as a prostitute one day when she knew he'd be going somewhere to see her. He thought she was, took her aside, had relationships with her sexually, and she gave birth to a son. But you see... Perez was that son. But here again, the writer of the genealogy, who we assume is Matthew, is saying the mother of, of Perez, who was in the lineage of Jesus, was in an, an ancestral relationship with her father-in-law. And then we go down to verse 5, and we see that um, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, just a minute now. Rahab was a lady in Jericho, and when the children of Israel came across and destroyed Jericho, she was saved because she looked after the spies. But she is known in Scripture as someone who owned a, a, a flop house or whatever, a, a bar of some kind. And so she was ill-reputed, and so she's listed in there. And then, of course, in the same verse 5, that's when Mother Ruth is mentioned. And then we have one more in verse 6. It says, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, who was Uriah? That was the man that David had put to death because David had got his wife pregnant, and so he murdered. So here's, here's this, this Solomon being born of an adulterous and murderous relationship. So why are these four mothers in Matthew 1? When there's no other mothers listed, nobody. It's all just the mothers that came from ill repute or from a distant country or something. They're different. The other mothers are not listed. I found that interesting. And all I can say to you is this. I believe God is trying to say to every one of us, it doesn't, ma it doesn't matter what your life was in the past. If you'll come to me in repentance, in brokenness of your past life, if you'll tell me you're sorry, I will redeem you. I don't care who you are. That's why there's four of them in there. It's almost like Nehemiah. He couldn't build the walls, his enemy said, because the stones were all built when he wanted to build, rebuild Jerusalem. But he rebuilt the walls with those burnt stones. And so some of us here, are burnt stone. Some of you listening, you've been through a lot of garbage. You've been through stuff that gave you a bad name and you've maybe have given yourself a bad name and you, and you believe I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life and you're not going to let go of it because how can God forgive a crumb like me? Uh, and yet 
This is what God is trying to say in Ruth and in Matthew chapter 1. He's trying to say, it doesn't matter. I will put you in the family of God regardless of what you're like if you will come to me in repentance and ask me to forgive you. And I will make you one of my family. So what are we supposed to do with this? God took Naomi and Ruth and Boaz through this whole ordeal. The biggest cost, of course, was to Ruth. The biggest hurt was Naomi for losing her husband and her sons. But Ruth paid the biggest price of all. And God was simply saying, Ruth, I had a plan And you were faithful in that plan. You kept your attitude right and your heart right. And you you didn't think about yourself. You're more concerned about others around you. And you poured your your life into, into not only bringing Naomi back with your company, but then giving yourself to a man you never met before who was much older than you are. He, he had to be the, the, about the same age as, as her father-in-law, but we don't know for sure, but he was much older. He even comments on that, that he's much older. And the Lord is saying, Ruth, I appreciate the fact that you didn't abort the plan somewhere by feeling sorry for yourself, by grumbling and complaining and saying God's forsaken me or God hates me, God doesn't care about you, never said any of that stuff, nothing's recorded. She's simply there day after day looking after her mother-in-law, looking after getting food from the field, doing whatever she could, even marrying a man she, she wasn't familiar with. She had only seen him as this mighty man, Boaz, that was her own property and own servant. And here she is. She's an a alien from a different land, not even equal with the servants. And yet, this is what the Lord is saying. Because you were faithful, I can now show my redemptive power to those, not only to your generations, but for generations to come. They'll read your story, and someday I'll write the first chapter of Matthew and show there's four ladies all together who are listed in that, who had no reputation, who were no good in the eyes of society, who were um, rejects and, and should have been Stoned to death because what David did with Bathsheba, both of them by law should have been stoned to death. But he said, I have taken those people and I'm showing the world that I'm a God of redemption. My long suffering is visible. My, my forgiving is visible. Everything that, that the, the, these people that are down and out and kicked around everything they need to be restored. I will use it, what I have, to restore them and bring them back. You see, all of a sudden, Ruth, when she marries Boaz, she all of a sudden is the wife of what looks like to be a wealthy businessman. All the way from a nothing below the servant to being the wife of a wealthy businessman. Now, Boaz is a type of Christ. He is. And he redeemed something that was lost as far as she was concerned because she was no good, just an alien. So out of this whole lesson, God is saying, whoever listens 
to a preacher from this book. Whoever reads the book, whoever understands that Boaz represents a redeeming God, a loving God. Father, we ask you, in the name of Jesus, speak to hearts right now that are watching this, those that have been downcast, those that think they have no good. Oh, Lord God, come and visit with them. Come and visit at the most opportune time. Come and stand with them. Give them an, an angel moment or whatever you want to do. But speak to them, Lord God, and restore, Lord God, what you had in mind in the first place when you created them in their mother's womb. So thank you, Lord. You're a gracious and awesome God. Amen. Amen. Please visit our website at jwmi.ca to find out about more information of our ministry.